congregation. Thanks so much to everybody for being here today. I see some new faces. It's good to have all of you here as a part of our service. Um, I did a training run yesterday. I did 12 miles. I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then Kenny told me he did a training run this past week, and uh, it was 10 miles. And I was like, well, I did 12. <laughs> but his 10-mile training run was preceded by a 75-mile bike ride, which I did not do, so I was feeling a little less good about myself. But anyhow, um, good to be with you today. We're in a week, we're in a verse-by-verse series going through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're in Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. Just a few words of introduction. I want to deal with Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 as kind of our theme verse as we walk through this today. Um, Paul writes there, for me to live is Paul. That's not what he wrote, is it? He said, for me to live is Christ. Uh, In other words, uh, I mean, Paul was saying, I'm giving myself completely to Christ and for his use. Uh, But that's not always been the case for Paul. Uh, And there was a period in Paul's life when for him to live was for Paul's honor. For him to live was for Paul's own advancement. And so Paul has found a new love, and he's expressing this new love, that he's fallen in love with the Lord Jesus, and that his love for the Lord Jesus has made him fall out of love with his own self. And with these words, Paul reveals the, the change in motive that's taken place in his heart, that he's no longer me-centered, that he's no longer thinking about his own needs, but rather that he has given his life away for the glory of God. And what we'll see today is how this commitment to Christ fleshes itself out in Paul's life, practically what it looks like. But what Paul discovers is that you cannot be humble before God and be proud before men. Philippians chapter 1, if you would, let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word, but we'll be reading verses 21 through 24, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 24. Let's read together. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better." But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, let's kind of walk through these verses together. What Paul, basically what's happening here in these verses is that Paul has a dilemma. Um, And he shows us the two sides of this dilemma that he faces, the two choices. The first of those choices is death. Look at verse 23 with me. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. So here Paul describes death with two phrases. The first of those phrases is to depart. It comes from the Greek term analuo, which is a word that's often used in shipping. So what Paul's saying here is that like, just like a ship weighs anchor and it heads off to sea, Paul's saying, hey, look, when I depart this world, when I leave this world, he said it's going to be like a, we weighed anchor and then we sailed off into eternity. And then he goes to describe death in terms of being with Christ. He says to depart and to be with Christ. Now, it's very important because Paul says that leaving this world is synonymous with being with Christ. So to not be here is to be there. To not be present in the mortal body is to be present with the Lord. Um, now, if you're here this morning and you're tuning into, or you're tuning into us online and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, uh, we're happy that you're here. We welcome you. We're so happy that you're part of our service But I feel it's my obligation to tell you that what Paul is talking about here does not apply to you. Um, I don't want to lull you into a false sense of security as you hear me talk about the afterlife and think that, well, the afterlife that Paul's talking about, how he gets to go to heaven, how he gets to be with Jesus, 
that somehow that's going to be your experience of the afterlife as well. Because friends, it is our responsibility to tell you in love that that's not what's going to happen. Because as an unbeliever, to die is not to depart and go be with Christ, but rather it's to, to die and go be with Satan and with his angels and to be in hell forever. And we don't desire that for you. And we would love to share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ, how you can enter into this personal relationship with him. That's something for you to think about. Now, if you're here this morning and you do know the Lord Jesus, then these verses that Paul's talking about here do apply to you. That means there is, uh, so what Paul's saying here is to depart from this world is synonymous with being with Christ. So in Paul's theology, there is no such thing as cosmic limbo. I talked about this several weeks ago, that there's no, no idea in Paul's theology here of some sort of a soul sleep or purgatory or some sort of a waiting room experience as you wait to go on into heaven. I mean, why would departing and being and sitting in a waiting room, waiting till you get to heaven, be something that Paul is, that's attractive to him? So attractive that he's like, I can't wait till this happens to me. Um, it wouldn't be. Um, and that makes, and so he's, he knows that to leave this life is to go be with Jesus, and that makes everything else that this world has to offer him pale in comparison. Paul desires to depart and be with Jesus, and for Paul, this represents a real dilemma for him. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul writes about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul's talking about the inevitability there of death. He says, We Christians are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. He means that we are still in the flesh. He says, so to, be, so to be absent from the Lord visibly, not to be in God's presence directly, not to be in God's presence personally, uh, that means that I'm still in my mortal body here on this earth. I mean, if we look around this room right now, none of us can say, yeah, I see God the Father right there. There's Jesus. I see him right there, right? He's, we don't see that because we're not in the presence of God directly. We're not in the presence of God visibly. <clears throat> and then Paul wraps up this whole segment with this observation, and same as he makes in Philippians, he says in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, he says, yes, we are of good courage, for we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What Paul's saying here is when a believer dies, he gets into an express bus, and that bus makes one stop, and that stop is heaven. But that's where the believer goes. That there's no intermediate stop on the way to heaven where the driver kicks you off and says, you got to stay here for a little while, maybe for a couple of days, maybe for a couple of hundred years, and think about all the bad things that you've done in your life, and pay your penance, and say your I'm sorry's, and then after that, period comes to an end, then another bus is going to come by, it's going to pick you up, and it's going to take you the rest of the way. That's not what's in view here in Paul's theology. Paul says to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, at home with the Lord visibly, at home with the Lord personally, at home with the Lord directly. So for the believer, the Word of God teaches that there are only two statuses for Christians. Either we are present in the body, mortally alive as we are right now, or we have passed on, and we are now present with the Lord. No intermediary state uh, in, in Paul's view. Now, which of those options did Paul choose? Which one did he prefer out of these two? Well, he tells us, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed. It's a tough decision for me between these two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. If I had the option to choose, he says, this would be my choice. I would choose to go and be with the Lord. That's what I would want to do. He says that 
And then he says that option is far better. Now, I got a slide for you here with a couple of Greek terms. And that, there's actually three Greek words that are translated into the two Greek words in the ESV here as far better. The last word in that phrase is the word croissant, which means better or greater. Um, and then Paul sticks a modifier on the front of that that means to be more. And so you end up with this phrase, more, better. And then he puts another word on the front of that, which means greatly or better uh, or profoundly better. And so what you do, what you, when you translate all three of these together, what you get is the statement, greatly more better. Now, friends, that's perhaps poor grammar, but it's fantastic theology. Paul is saying to go and be with Christ is greatly more better than, than any other option that we have here in this world. And I think it's worth pointing out that Paul has come to this conclusion in part because Paul has himself witnessed heaven. He's been there in some way, shape, or form or another. He's experienced heaven. You say he has? Yeah. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and here Paul, Paul acknowledges his experience of heaven. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself here, but he's referring to himself in the third person. You'll see why here in a second who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Now, the scriptures teach just in a handful of places, there's one in Ezekiel, there's one in Nehemiah, that there are three levels to heaven. And Paul says, I was caught up in the third of those. It's heaven's heaven, how the scriptures refer to it. Um, Paul says, I went to the third of those, verse 3, and I know that this man himself was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. In other words, I was transported there either through a vision or I was transported there physically to heaven or maybe just in my mind. I'm not really sure how that worked, but he says, I did, I did have this experience of heaven, verse 4, and I heard things that cannot be told which man, myself, may not utter. So here's Paul's hesitancy to talk about his experience in heaven, so much so that he doesn't even want to refer to himself in the first person and his experience of it. He says, I may not utter about it. You say, well, why, why can't he tell us about heaven? I mean, wouldn't it be great if Paul would give us some of the details of what that was like and his experience there? Well, perhaps, perhaps, this is just my thinking on the issue. I think God in his great wisdom told Paul, don't tell anybody about this. Because God knows that if we knew just how great heaven was, we would be more prone to uh, check out of here. We disregard some of our earthly responsibilities here. We would ignore some of God's purposes for our life here because we'd be so focused on what is to come. We would um, ignore, we'd eat gobs of candy every day, trying to get diabetes. We'd ignore our health and going to the doctor. We'd sabotage it. And God doesn't want that. He wants for us to live for him here on the earth to accomplish his agenda for our lives. And then when that agenda is accomplished, we'll pass on and go to life eternal. Um, again, if we knew just how greatly more better heaven was, I think God knows in his wisdom we would be ready to, we would lose our effectiveness here on the earth. So Paul has this dilemma. Uh, he has an alternative to living that has captured his mind and his affections. Let's backtrack to verse 22. Here Paul describes the other side of his dilemma. He says, um, he says uh, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that is, if I'm going to stay alive here on this earth, then that means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor for me. What does he mean by fruitful labor? Well, Paul's thinking about the people that he would share the gospel with. 
He's thinking about those folks in Caesar's household that he got to share the gospel with and have made decisions to spend their eternity with the Lord Jesus. Um, he's thinking about building up the church locally and teaching sound biblical doctrine. Paul considers all of these things as worthy of his remaining here on this earth. He considers these as his fruitful labor. Paul says, and I'm torn between these two. I've had this experience of heaven, right? And yet I, there's things still here for me to do that God has for me to do. There's a purpose that God's given me in my life. And I want to see those things through, but wow, heaven's just amazing. I want to go be with the Lord. So he's torn between these two. Here in this life, he's been beaten and whipped and abused. The pains and aches from all of those experiences continue to increase daily. He has iron shackles on his ankles and his wrists at the time that he's writing this letter. He's a political prisoner. He doesn't have his freedom. And so he's seeing all these negatives that are a part of his experience in this world. He's longing for the next when he can be free and be in the presence of the Lord. But again, there's fruitful labor back here for him to accomplish. So what does Paul do? Verse 24, but he says, or despite the fact that heaven's going to be greatly more better, he says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul says, for me to stay here is more urgent because the church needs me. The church needs me to stay here. Now, let's be clear that Paul is not being conceited. Paul is not all of a sudden growing a big head that's thinking to himself that, oh, the church has to have me around, and I'm just this such an important guy, and that I'm irreplaceable, and that, that nobody's going to be able, nobody like Timothy could take my foot, my, walk in my footsteps or, or lead the church like I have. No, Paul is saying, I'm willing to stay here in all sincerity and continue to fight and continue to sacrifice and continue to experience suffering and all the things that Paul knows are a part of this world. And he says, I'm willing to do it because I want to be here for you, because of his great love for the church. Friends, that is sacrificial love. And what that shows is that there's one thing in the universe, one thing that can compete in Paul's mind and in his heart with the pull of paradise, wanting to go and be with the Lord. And that one thing is not money, it's not fame, it's not influence. That one thing that competes with heaven are the needs of the church. All right, let's sum up. What was Paul's, what dilemma did he face? Well, there was one part of him that desired to go to heaven and be with Christ, and then there was this other part of him that wanted to stick around here on the earth to help meet the needs of people, to minister to the needs of the church. And which of those did Paul choose? He tells us in verse 25, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 25, he says, convinced of this, convinced of this notion I have, this belief that I have that you need me. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And church history tells us that Paul actually was released from his imprisonment, from his house imprisonment, and went to Philippi and spent some time with the church there before the Romans uh, grabbed him again and then very shortly after chopped his head off. Now, don't know for certain that that's really what happened, but that's what church history tells us. Um, all right, well, that's our treatment of this text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? Like, Gordon, great history lesson. Good to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say and how his thinking is. But I mean, what does any of this have to do with me? Well, let's see if we can answer that. You know, I had a great conversation just about a week ago with a handful of our church members just sitting around in the living room having a discussion about laying our lives down for the Lord Jesus. 
And uh, these, this group of people were saying, you know what? It is my desire to be mightily used of God. That's what I want more than anything else. Isn't that a wonderful decision? Isn't that a wonderful place to be? That here's this group of people that says, you know what, God? I just, I want like Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I want my life to be poured out like a, like a living sacrifice. I want it to be poured out for his glory. These are men and women who have come to a point in their Christian walk where they're laying themselves down on the altar of God and they're saying, God, here's my life. Here are the resources that you've given me. Here are the talents that you've given me. Here's the time that I have. God, I want for them to be used for your glory. Friends, that can be a very dangerous prayer, right? Because I imagine God will answer that prayer, but it can also be a very exciting prayer for the same reason. Because I believe God will answer that prayer. Essentially, this is Paul's dilemma. Do I pray, God, take me home? I'm tired. I'm worn. I'm spent. Or does he pray, God, there's more yet to do. God, I lay myself back down on the altar, saying, God, here's my life. Once again, please use me. Paul looks at heaven. He sees the glories of heaven. He sees the rewards of heaven. He sees the splendors of heaven. And he says, I yearn to go there. That's where I want to be. And then he looks at the sheep. And he sees the needs of the sheep. Paul concludes, as much as I want to go on to glory, I'm willing to give that up and to forgo it, to stay here for as long as God wills. And I'll continue to serve him. Friends, that was the story of Paul's Christian life. He had died to self and he had lived for others. And do you know where he got that model from? He got that model from the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus, in washing the disciples' feet, said in John chapter 13 and verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, now down on my knees with my wash, my, my towel in my basin, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Friends, it's like this. Paul decided to fight on and stay here for the same reason that Jesus decided to forgo heaven and come here. And that, and that reason was to meet the needs of people. You know, I've always thought one of the marks of great spiritual men and women, great servants of God, was whether or not they put the needs of others ahead of their own. I think about Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I mean, here's a guy who was ostracized by his own people. He was beaten by his own people. He was thrown down in a well. He was left to be starved. He was ridiculed. Two or three times they plotted against his life. The king even jailed Jeremiah just so that the people couldn't get to him because he knew that they were going to kill him. And you may think to yourself, I mean, what did Jeremiah think about all this? What was his response to uh, you know, all the persecution they was experiencing? Well, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 9 and verse 1, he said, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for myself. It's not what he said, is it? He didn't say, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night because of my own suffering not what he said. He wasn't looking toward his own suffering or, or the things that he was having to endure. Instead, he said that I might weep for the slain daughter of my people. In other words, Jeremiah's concern, the thing that most gripped his heart, was not because of his own miserable condition, but rather because of the suffering of God's people. He was always concerned about the needs 
of others. And how about Paul himself? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists off a whole bunch of the suffering that he had experienced, a whole bunch of the hardships that he endured. He says in verse 24, five times, think about that, five times he said, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Perhaps you've seen the movies where the Lord Jesus was whipped with the 39 lashes. Paul says five times I experienced that. Verse 25, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That had been enough for me, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. Verse 27, many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And he says, verse 28, but the thing that most consumed my thoughts, the thing that was gripped my heart more than anything else, he said, my anxiety or concern was for all of the churches. In those moments, he says, of my supreme misery, the thing that was most uppermost in my mind was how are the people in Philippi? How are the Christians in Ephesus? What's happening in Colossae? Friends, we hear these accounts and we wonder, why did Paul and Jeremiah endure this? Why didn't they just say, you know what, I've had enough. That's it. That's it for me. Hit my quota. I'm done. Why did they put up with all that? Well, because as Paul put it, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ. These folks were simply following the example of Christ. They were putting the needs of others ahead of their own, above their own safety, above their own comfort, above their own advancement, and even in some circumstances, above their own life. And I believe above everything else that this is the mark of true spiritual greatness. That's what Jesus said. He said, he who will be greatest among you will be the servant of all. I'd like to close today with just a call to self-evaluation, if we may. Uh, Call it meddling. I like to do that every once in a while, preaching to meddling. So a call to self-evaluation. We should ask ourselves, how do I respond when there's somebody in front of me with a need and I got something else that I need to do? Somebody standing in front of me with a hurt, somebody standing in front of me that I could minister to, but yeah, I got this TV program over here I was really hoping to watch. I got some, one of my hobbies that I was hoping to get into today, and that just doesn't fit my schedule. Do I serve that person? If I do, do I do it begrudgingly? How do we respond? Friend, my desire is to see us to become a body that really knows what it means to live unselfishly, to live is Christ. That is to wash the feet of others. And friends, the more we learn to make Paul's statement true of us to live as Christ, the more it will become a spontaneous way of life. May God the Holy Spirit help us to see ourselves as we really are, and then we turn to him to produce that change in us. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for speaking to us from your word today. We thank you for all of these heroes of the Bible that have demonstrated self-sacrifice. Lord, you ultimately showed us the way. You washed the feet of the disciples. You left heaven's throne. You came here to the earth. 
you gave your very life for our benefit. Lord, as we gather around this table today and are reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body, may it be a reminder to us also, Lord, of the way you want us to meet a world full of need. That we are to be a people whose lives are being poured out, living sacrifices. And Lord, that we would do it all for your glory. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just open our eyes to the needs around us, in our community, in our homes. And may we, God, be willing to give of ourselves to meet those needs. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed the cup. And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. The communion elements are there in front of you in your chair. If you would like to participate in the time of communion. And we'll spend a little bit of time in quiet reflection and prayer before we close with worship.